Good morning. It's good to be back with you folks again. It's been three years, I think, since the last time we were together. And it's my delight to be back again. I want to thank you all for your prayers and your support of Linda and I as we minister to the soldiers stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas, 1st Infantry, Infantry Division. We got any big red one soldiers out there by any chance? Oh, okay, there we go. All righty. You guys don't understand that, but we do. All right. Uh, take your Bibles, open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read two passages of Scripture and uh, want us to start with this. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is very simple. It's entitled, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 12. The Apostle Paul is speaking here and he says, For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And as was read earlier, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I just want to read it again. Again, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Think with me for a moment about the general idea of shame, okay? Have you ever thought about how powerful shame is? It's a real force to be reckoned with when we really stop and think about it, isn't it? Um, It's hugely powerful in the way of a force that can dramatically shape and influence me. I don't know about you, but it does for me. Shame will cause us to do things, or shame will cause us to not do things that no other force can do that I'm aware of. To better help us understand our message this morning, consider these questions with me. When would you be ashamed, just in general? When would you be ashamed? When would you be embarrassed? Under what circumstances would you feel like you've been made a fool or have been humiliated? Everybody has experienced shame and embarrassment, haven't we? And we all know personally the pain and humiliation of it. It's a horrible feeling that seems to never go away, at least for me. It's also quite interesting to ponder the many things we do to protect ourselves from ever being embarrassed or shamed or humiliated. Just think on this with me. Uh, For example, uh, we spend huge amounts of time and energy educating ourselves so as to not appear incompetent or ignorant or foolish. 
by. Read the sports page, know the stats on the baseball game so that when we talk with the guys, we're not, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, We spend vast amounts of money buying clothes year after year after year so that we're not out of style or appear outdated or old or nerdy or uncool because we don't want to be ashamed of how we look. We pay close attention to trends and make sure we're up to date on all things trendy and uh, so we don't accidentally find ourselves eating the wrong thing or listening to the wrong music or using the wrong lingo or words or driving the wrong car or supporting the wrong causes or advocating the wrong social reformation fad. The basic rule of thumb I've found is this. Always conduct myself in a way that will never put me in a bad light or will make me embarrassed, okay? Never behave or act in a way that will cause others to think badly of me. The bottom line, this is our culture, bottom line, personal humiliation is always, always a really bad thing. Shame is always a bad thing. Avoid experiencing it at all costs. Well, (laughs) as for our text this morning in Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is addressing the central importance of being a witness for Jesus Christ and telling people about the gospel. But just for me, at least, the very reading of this text can cause me to feel ashamed. Do you feel that too when you hear that? There's a sense of cringing and a little bit of shame. Why does it do that? Well, it's because we know how we have in previous times been ashamed of the gospel. We think of past instances when we've tried to be a witness to someone. We've told them about their need for a savior and their sinfulness and their need to repent and trust in Christ only to have it all fall apart on us. I mean, the wheels come off the wagon. It gets ugly Um, You find yourself, I find myself bumbling over, I want to say, anybody going, yeah, yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, okay. And, and, And when you get done, you think, oh, I've done more harm than good for the gospel and for the cause of Christ here. I need to just shut up. Or maybe you've unexpectedly been singled out in some public setting because you are a Christian, okay. And you were attacked for your faith in Jesus or were made the butt of someone's cutting humor or mockery. Why? Because you are a Christian. Or you've been hazed and belittled and laughed at and dismissed because you're a follower of Jesus. And your profession of faith in the gospel to those who knew you now is the whip in the hands of your attackers to humiliate you. Christian. And you were shamed because of your belief in the gospel. Or maybe you found yourself in a situation in which you felt that internal tug, that internal tug of war to, there's an opportunity that's presented itself to to, to talk to them about Christ and their need for salvation. And, And there's a wide open door to tell them about Jesus and their need for a savior. Or maybe it's an opportunity to speak up and stand for the truth of God in some way in which It's being maligned or slandered or mangled in a conversation. Something needed to be said to challenge and correct that which was being said that was contrary to the gospel. And you said nothing. Nothing. You were ashamed of the gospel. Now, the pressing question in all our hearts, mine included, is this. How can we keep that from happening? 
How can we not get embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel? Well, much to my consternation, Paul seems to not struggle at all with fear or shame. Uh, he's, he emphatically claims, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. When you look at the person of Paul, you see a man who was incredibly courageous uh, in his preaching and in his living. He would proclaim the gospel to lost people regardless of the cost to him. For example, he was whipped four times, flogged, three, uh, flogged four times, beaten with rods three times, was shipwrecked three times. Think about this. You know, I have this picture of Dumb and Dumber where, what's his name, comes back and he says, how was your day? It was terrible. I ran off the, I fell off the speedway at the airport again. I don't know, anybody remember that scene? How does anybody fall off a speedway once? He did it again. And it was, but Paul, you know, it's like him. I've been shipwrecked, not once, not twice, three times. Good grief, all for the sake of the gospel. This guy's a rock star for the gospel. And I love the story in Acts. Well, I, it just amazes me. In Acts, where Paul goes into Lystra, and he proclaims the gospel with his team, and it goes south. And they pick up stones, and they stone him to death. Then, assuming he's dead, they drag his carcass outside the city, drop it, and go back in. And his disciples are hanging around and going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? And Paul re resuscitates. He looks at his team and says, hey, I think we're getting their attention. And he goes back in the stinking city. I'd be doing, dude, it's time to shake some dust and walk on. You know, and this is what he does. Where did Paul get such courage? Why was he not ashamed of the gospel? Why was he so courageous? Well, friends, I'm going to leave you with two thoughts, if I've got time, that I hope you grasp and you run with here, okay? Okay? Paul understood two very important things about the gospel, but we, quite frankly, do not understand today in our American cultural Christianity. This is cultural, guys and gals, and I hope you'll see this. What made Paul so courageous in proclaiming the gospel was his understanding of two things, God's intent with the gospel and understanding of God's power in the gospel. Let me say that again. Paul was courageous and not ashamed because he understood God's intent with the gospel and he understood the power of the gospel, meaning the message. Okay, let's unpack the first one, okay? And, and to do this, we need to get rid of some popular but very wrong-headed myths about being a witness for Christ. Otherwise, I believe we will never be able to be courageous or unashamed uh, in telling people about Jesus and the good news. And the first thing we've got to get our heads and hearts around and fully embrace, guys and gals, is this. You ready? The gospel, by its very nature and message, is offensive the gospel is by God's intention and design offensive to everyone did Larry just really say that yep yep I did now I understand yes the gospel means good news and it is good news for the sinner but the gospel news but the good news in the gospel is based upon our willingness, the sinner's willingness to acknowledge some really bad news about us as sinners first. The good news only will be good news if we are willing to embrace the bad news about us first. Think about it, okay? Run with me here for a minute. The message of the gospel is this. The sovereign God of the universe created all human life. God is therefore our sovereign creator, 
rightfully expectant of our gratitude, our allegiance, our worship, and our service. But we, humanity, have from the very beginning turned on God and have rebelled against him. We have not been thankful for the life he's given us to enjoy. We've not acknowledged his right as our sovereign creator to rule over us as his created beings. We have not prioritized the living of our lives so that we serve God and his higher purposes. We've not sought to understand his moral expectations of us and to obey them. But instead, we have ignored them, rationalized his moral commandments away, and have endlessly broken God's holy commandments. And we have not faithfully given to God the worship that he has commanded of us and fully deserves. No, we've done none of this. What we've done, basically, is we have defied him at every point in our lives. We've turned away from God and and defiled ourselves in our rebellious behavior so as to make ourselves a sinful, filthy stench in his nostrils, just like we sang about, deeply offending his holy character. In fact, we've done everything in our power to expel God from our lives and from our world, banning him, so to speak, from being involved in our personal affairs. And then when things go badly for us, we have the brazen arrogance, the temerity to look heavenward and to shake our fist and say, how dare you let this happen to me, God? And then we've expected him to respect us and to accept us just the way we are instead of raining down on us the rightful judgment that we all deserve. But God And here's where the good news enters the story. But God, in his inexplicable love for us, has still graciously condescended and has offered us a way by which we may may be forgiven and restored back to a right relationship with God through the person and the work of his son, Christ Jesus. He, Jesus, the holy, thrice holy son of God, who knew no sin, was willing to step down into our sin-sick world and take upon himself the horrible, horrible judgment that's ours as our substitute. And experience this terrible punishment in our place. Even as we mocked him and spit in his face and we abused him and we screamed, crucify him. For he has offended us by his judgmental, unloving, hateful, mean message. How dare he tell me I need to repent? Yet God in his amazing love saw this as a good plan by which to save us if we're willing to humble ourselves enough to acknowledge what's true about us and accept his grace and his salvation. If we're willing to acknowledge and confess our sinful state to Christ and agree with him that we are justly due the punishment He has declared, and to throw ourselves at the feet of the resurrected Son of God, Jesus, and call out to him for forgiveness and salvation from our eternal doom, which the Bible calls hell, a word we need to reintroduce into our vocabulary today. Then, then we will be graciously forgiven of our infinite offenses against God's holy character and name, and we will be saved. This is the gospel, men and women. 
This is the message, Christians, the one and the only message from God to the world by which we can experience the saving grace of God through Christ and his saving work on the cross for us sinners. And this gospel, catch this, guys and gals, this gospel, if we're bold enough and loving enough to tell people this message, it will offend everyone who hears it. Why? Because it, that is the intent of the gospel by God's design plan. You see, the lost person may not realize it consciously, but they are in utter rebellion against the Lord. This is what the scriptures tell us. You can read it all over the place. Go to Romans 3. The lost person does not see a need for God in their lives, and they do not feel a need to be, a, to be saved from God's need. They don't feel a need to be saved from God's judgment. They don't even fear him as the judge. They want to be Lord over themselves, and they want to be the one who is supreme in all matters of their life. The lost person basically is pridefully in defiance of God and his rightful claim over their soul, and they do not want to hear the gospel. Friends, this is the truth. And the gospel, when we proclaim that message to them and we tell them the whole gospel, the gospel creates shame, shame, in the hearts of those who hear it. And the stronger their defiance of God is, the stronger will be their offense to God and to you when you tell them the gospel. The lost sinner is shamed by the message of God, and this is by God's intention. The unsaved person basically has one of, one of two responses when they hear the gospel, okay? They hear the gospel message. When you tell it to them, you share the gospel fully with them. Their one response can be, Humbled hearts, conviction of spirit, repentance before the Lord of their sinfulness, and saving faith in Christ, obediently trusting in Christ. Or they will defend themselves against its claims against them. They will be offended by it. And this often takes the form of attacking the one who is causing them to experience the shame. And that means attacking the, mess the messenger. And Christian, that's you. Christian, this is not original to me. I think John Piper first said this. I love this phrase. Memorize this. Christian, you will be shamed for the gospel if you proclaim it. But you do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. Let me say that again. You will be shamed for the gospel if you proclaim it. But you do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. You'll recall that in the beginning, the Apostle Paul was one of those who took very deep offense at the message of Christ. The gospel deeply offended Paul. I mean, so much so that he became this passionate, zealous, totally fanatical persecutor of the church. You remember how Christ had to bring him to his knees when he was on the road to Damascus and the holy God of the Savior of the world, Jesus, shone his light and blinded him and knocked him right on his keister off that horse, and he's groveling in the dirt, and what did Jesus say to him? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then it struck Paul like a bolt of lightning. I'm judging him when he should be the judge of me. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst, Jesus Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 
Christian, can you remember from whence you came? Do you remember the, 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 the sinful state in which you were before Christ redeemed you? And here's one of the takeaways for us today. If, if you and I want to be effective in sharing the gospel with the lost and be bold and not ashamed, then we've got to be humbled in a similar way by it personally. You and I need to see its application in our own life like Paul did. He was rocked to the core by the revelation of his own utter wickedness and of God's amazing, gracious forgiveness of his sin through Christ. And it broke his pride completely. It humbled him. And may I even say, it humiliated him. A necessary work. A necessary divine work in order to bring repentance and saving faith. And now God's love and grace to him so overwhelmed and blessed Paul that it consumed his heart and mind from that day forth. Everything else in his life that caused that used to be priority, like personal reputation or ambition or the respect and esteem of his peers, all that was exposed for what it was, sinful vanity. And it was wiped away. And all that mattered to Paul now was Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. Why was Paul so courageous proclaiming the gospel? Because he understood God's intentions with the gospel. It was intended to confront and to convict the sinner with the full force of their sinful depravity and to humble them unto repentance before Christ. This, Christians, is the first thing God intends the gospel to do if it's going to bring about salvation in their heart. No wonder, get a little, no wonder sinners are so troubled when they hear the gospel. And no wonder why we find ourselves hesitant to tell people about their need of a savior. We're misunderstanding. We're thinking too humanistically. We're thinking, if I package this right, they'll love me for it. There will be those where the Holy Spirit will do that incredible work, and we'll be the ones who will have the blessing of being the ones to see them come to that point of crisis and conviction and humiliation at the foot of the cross and respond in saving grace. Many will turn on you and revile you and hate you. But we don't know who God's touching and who he's not. And we don't know if the person I'm proclaiming the gospel to today is going to be the one whom God is going to save five years from now and he's going to use me and several other faithful Christians who have done this work of faithfully and lovingly and graciously telling them the truth about their spiritual condition so that the Holy Spirit uses the message to accomplish his purposes in their life at some point. And here's one of the takeaways for us today. If you want to be effective in sharing the gospel with the lost, uh, you've got to be convinced of this truth. Now, if we were to stop here, I understand it would be uh, not too fun to relish the job of regular te regularly telling people about the gospel. But this brings us to our second point that I think that Paul understood and we need to understand too about the gospel message. Second thing that Paul also understood about the gospel was the power of it. The power of it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, what? It is the power of God. What does he mean by this? Well, the message of the gospel is not an impotent, powerless message we're called to tell the world. The gospel message that we tell people is not just some data or some information that we need to communicate that they'll hear and rationally it'll just do its thing and they'll go, hmm, this makes sense, I think I'll join the team. No, 
The message of the gospel that we're called to proclaim is a divine message that is packed with the supernatural power of God. And it is through the telling of this message, the gospel, that God has chosen as the only way to unleash his mighty power to save the sinner who hears and responds to it. We can't love someone to salvation alone. We have got to open our mouths and tell them the message they need to hear. Christian, as we step out in faith and as we boldly proclaim the gospel of the lost, the Holy Spirit is with us and is with his message. And the Holy Spirit honors his message and miraculously, powerfully convicts and turns stubborn hearts toward him to receive God's grace and salvation in Christ. The word power here in this verse is where we get the word dunamis in the Greek. And maybe you've heard this from your pastor, but it's where we derive the, word, the English words dynamic and dynamite. Okay? The power of the gospel is like dynamite in the heart of the hearer. Friends, it may not seem like much to you and I from a natural perspective, but whenever you and I open our mouth and tell someone the message of the gospel... The very power of the Almighty God is blasted into the soul of that person to do amazing things. John said this in 16, John 16, 7 and 8. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Christian, whenever we proclaim the gospel to a lost person, the Holy Spirit powerfully drives it into their heart and convicts them of sin in regard to their sin and convicts them of their unrighteousness and the resulting judgment that is their rightful punishment unless they turn and repent in faith and embrace Christ as their Savior. Hear me on this. This is the purpose of the gospel. There cannot be salvation until there's first conviction of sin and a humbling of one's heart before God and a willingness to repent and embrace the Savior. This is why the gospel will always offend the hearer. It is its design by God. And even Jesus, the most skilled communicator in all the world, the most loving, compassionate, sensitive, humble, gracious person who ever walked the face of the earth, even Jesus experienced this negative reaction and shaming for his proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind... It hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. This is why, no, I'm sorry, he said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And listen to what he says then. And you must testify. In other words, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Christian, you will be shamed for the gospel just like Jesus. But you do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. And so we need to take in the few remaining minutes we got here to be able to put away some silly, faulty-minded myths, some unbiblical myths about how we are to witness to Jesus. We need to do away with these things if we're going to be able to find the confidence and the courage to be able to proclaim the gospel like Paul and not be ashamed of it. Okay, myth number one. If we proclaim the gospel in the right way, if we're loving enough and gracious enough, sensitive enough and careful enough and humble enough and have earned the right to be heard enough, then we will proclaim the whole message of the gospel and not offend anyone. This is not possible. Why? Again, because God intrinsically offends the sinner by his gospel and by his design. Yes, we are to be loving. Oh, definitely be loving. 
Be gracious. Be humble. Choose your words carefully, seasoned with salt and love. But do not delude yourself into thinking that if you do it right, then you will not offend anyone. This is simply just not true, okay? And the gospel offends all sinners. Even the ones that get saved are offended by it. It's a biblical offense. It's a biblically intended offense. And this is necessary in order to accomplish the work of salvation in the end. This is a God-given offense that is good, not bad. In fact, to believe that you must not ever say anything that will offend someone when witnessing to even to them is, I believe, is a powerful lie from the pit of hell. I think it's shrewdly crafted. It's one of the best ones that American Christianity has bought off on. And it's shrewdly crafted, I believe, by Satan himself to shame you into not witnessing. See how he's turned the tables on us? Satan's lie is this. If, if you were only better at witnessing like Jesus did, then you'd be seeing people gladly respond to faith and salvation. But because you're so bad at it, then you better stop before you do more damage than good. Have you ever thought this before? I have. This is Satan's lie to muzzle you. Don't listen to it. Myth number two. Don't judge people when you tell them about the gospel. Okay? Do not judge. Most commonly quoted verse in the Bible. Grossly out of context. Another sermon, another day. But don't judge people when you tell them about the gospel. That's the other myth that we believe in Christianity today here in America. Another lie of our time is that you can and should evangelize the lost without ever making anyone feel judged. The most important ethic of our day, no one has the right to judge another person. So saying something that makes a moral judgment of another is the height of arrogance because you have no right to judge me. Well, this is so messed up. I hardly know where to begin. But just, just let's start right here. But please understand, Christian, this, that the very uttering of the message of the gospel immediately and inescapably judges the hearer. But it's not you who is judging someone when you tell them the gospel, Christian. It is God through his message of the gospel that is judging them. And yes, God is judging the sinner in the gospel message. God's totally judging the sinner, and there's no escaping it. And it is necessary for the salvation of their souls to be accomplished for this to happen. To think that we can evangelize the lost without making someone feel judged is ludicrous. It can't be done. Christians, we must accept this. We've got to be countercultural here. You understand me? Our love drives us past everything in our culture that says, bad Christian, and do it. Christians, we must accept this. More than that, we must heartily acknowledge and embrace it as true. It is nothing, let me read it correctly, it is not something we need to just grit our teeth and accept. It is good. It's a necessary part of God's work to bring the lost sinner to salvation. Conviction and repentance must precede saving faith. Okay, myth number three, and I've got to really hurry. God needs a PR agent. Um, <laughs> don't be embarrassed uh, uh, God's crafted an evangelistic message that is flawed and in some way is crude and insensitive and we need to soften it or to refine it in a way so it won't be so offensive when we are his public relations officer and tell people about it Okay, we do this, we don't say it that way but that's in essence what we're doing and, and the idea is that I need to soften and refine it and take out the offensive parts that's going to hurt them uh, so that they won't, so when I tell somebody about Jesus, they won't be repelled. The lost person won't be repelled. 
uh, away from being saved. And my question is, repelled away to where? Hell number two? They're, they're doomed. They're judged. They're, their destiny is hell. They can't be more. They need the gospel. They need the truth. When you talk to someone about their need for Jesus as Savior and people react and accuse you of judging them and shoving your religion down their throats, understand what's happening here, Christians. The Lord is doing this exactly the way he intended it to happen. The Holy Spirit is taking his message and he's exploding it in their heart like a bomb and it's wreaking spiritual havoc in their heart so as to take root and to result in faith. God is turning their world upside down but he is turning them towards salvation, and that is a very good thing. And as we speak forth this message of salvation, you will see the powerful internal work occurring in their hearts. When you proclaim the gospel and somebody reacts, in your mind I want you to say one word. Boom. Don't look at it and say, dude, what did I do wrong? You say, boom. That's a good thing. I get really, really worried when I share the whole gospel with somebody, and they just look at me and go, Cool, dude. Hey, how about the Los- How about the Rams, man? It's a good game. I'm going. Oh no, boom! I want a boom. Okay. I'm out of time, so I'm going to stop here. Friends, are you catching the drift of what I'm talking about here? We need to understand God's intent with the gospel and the power of God's message. He does not. He honors His word. He honors His message. He says, "Go proclaim the gospel." And I look at this and I say, I don't want to lose, I don't want to ruin something. Friends, they're doomed. Their destiny is hell. It is destruction. And they are hanging on a thread over the flames of hell. Haven't heard that said. I don't know, maybe, I hope your pastor says that. But it's true. And they need to be rescued. And the only thing that will rescue them is Christ. And the only way Christ has given that message to be given to them is through us, his messengers. And we are the ones to proclaim it. Go, proclaim the gospel. Yes, you will be persecuted. Yes, you will be misunderstood. Yes, they will be offended at you. And God will use it to accomplish his purposes towards salvation in their lives. Walk by faith, not by sight. I love what Paul said. I love what he said. If I can find it real quick here. See, this is how much I'm leaving out. Aren't you happy? He made a comment. I love this verse here. He says here in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What, is, what, it, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Listen to what he says. He's talking about his job of sharing the gospel and leading lost people to Christ, and he says this. I love this. He says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's Love compels us. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he understood it personally, how true it was for him, a sinner of whom he is the worst. He does not deserve salvation. It's grace. And he's so grateful to God for what he's done in his own heart. And he's going, I don't want you going there. And I don't care. I'll let, it drive, I'll let this compulsion drive me beyond what you think of me my own pride, my own humiliation, or whatever, so that you hear what you need to hear because you need Christ. And you need to be saved from the judgment that your sins is rightly bringing upon you from a just and holy God. Repent and trust in Christ. Christ's love compelled him. Would you pray with me? As the worship team comes up, let's bow our hearts and think. 
I don't know how the Lord is using this in your heart today. I pray it's been received in the spirit it was intended. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your grace. We do not deserve your salvation. We do not deserve your good gift of salvation. You should have turned away and left us, but you didn't. Oh God, we are so grateful for so wonderful a gift of salvation. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the incredible gift of being your ambassadors. But Lord, help us to not be disobedient to your commandment to go and to proclaim the gospel. And Lord, like Paul, we ask that you will please help us to get our hearts around, not just our minds, but our hearts around the fact that your gospel is offensive to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, but help us to be willing to experience and live the shame of being your messenger in faith and in hope for the salvation of the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.